welcome to Your Life Choices, Mind Your Own Retirement Podcast. I hope that you're keeping well and that uh, now restrictions are starting to lift. You're having some uh, family and friends, some of the grandchildren over, that you're just becoming a little bit more social and everybody seems to be out there walking. I've never seen so many dogs being walked in my life, but I hope you're keeping happy, hope you're keeping well, and I hope that this podcast's helpful to you. If you're not a member of Your Life Choices and you've just joined us for this podcast, please do join. It's absolutely free. There is a wealth of information every single day on the Your Life Choices website. So if, uh, if you are a member, fantastic, but do encourage others. Coming up on our podcast today, we're going to be speaking finance with Dr. David Haywood. He's the Professor of Public Policy at RMIT, talking about the social issues of uh, where we might be going with our economy in this incredibly difficult time. Talking about health, and you may or may not know, this is Macula Month. We're speaking to the uh, the head of Vision Eye Institute, Dr. Devendra Chahan, who is the boss of the Vision Eye Institute, about how important your macula is, and talking lifestyle with Sean Rooney, who's the CEO of Leading Age Care Services Australia, talking with authority on the important issues across residential and home care and retirement living. So an interesting show coming up. Do stay with us. This is Mind Your Own Retirement. And on Your Life Choices podcast, Mind Your Own Retirement, um, we're going to talk finance. We have uh, Dr. David Haywood from the Public Policy at RMIT University. Let me give you a little bit of a background on David, first of all. Now, uh, David's an economist and was until recently the director of the Victorian Council of Social Services, RMIT Future uh, Social Service Institute. Before that, he was the dean of RMIT School of Global, Urban and Social Studies for seven years. He's undertaken extensive research around the funding of social services and social policies and a regular media commentator on budgets and policies. <sighs> David, do you do your own tax? Uh, a, no, I don't actually, John. Uh, I've got other better things to do. Man, I feel, I I feel sorry for the guy who does it because I, <laughs> no. you, you'd be going like, hey, hang on, what's that? <laughs> No, no, and I do sound very busy, don't I? You do, and obviously you're very well uh, experienced and uh, beautifully versed to be able to talk about post-pandemic policies when it comes to some of the, the biggest changes in our economic world. And I was wondering, there are so many questions, but can you give me some of the, say, the three big changes you see after coming out of the COVID-19 lockdown and um, this incredible time we have? Look, I think that there's a big assumption there too, John, that we actually get out of it. And unfortunately, until they develop a vaccine, it's not certain we will. And mm. remember, the history of pandemics is that there's quite often a second wave that mm. can be worse than the first. So let's hope we get through it. But if, assuming we do get through it, and it's going to take some time, I think that the three big issues that we're going to have to grapple with, number one, it's that terrible problem that we've been dealing with for the last 30 years, it's rising inequality. Now, there's lots of reasons why that worries me, but speaking from with my economic hat on, once too much of income gets concentrated in the hands of too few, you get too much saving and not enough investment outlets for all that saving. Interest rates stay low. We don't get enough investment, and so economies stay flat. It's a paradox of increased wealth, that concentration, income concentration. Number one is inequality. Number two, I think that an issue that we're going to have to deal with is too little competition in important parts of the private sector. And you might have noticed over the last 
oh, I don't know, five or six years that every so often the ACCC, the Australian Competition Commission, takes companies to court arguing we need more competition, not less of it. And unfortunately, in the major cases, they have a track record of losing. So we end up with fewer companies. Mm. You know, post-coronavirus, think about airlines. We still don't know what's going to happen with Virgin. So I'd like to see more competition and a stronger effort by our politicians to make that a top priority. Get more competition in the economy, which will get a more dynamic economy. And the third one, which is really worrying me, and it's probably top of my list, actually, it's the fragility. Are you going to say, are you going to say unemployment? Well, I'd wrap unemployment right up there with inequality as the top mm. consideration. I mean, unemployment's going to stay high, sadly, for a couple of years. There's no way it's going to come down. The critical question is, how high will it stay post-coronavirus, and particularly if the federal government gets rid or winds back the job keeper and job seeker payments? Big questions to ask. But my third one is actually kind of wraps up the other two, too. It's about the fragility of our democracy with the spread of outlets that where people can peddle false. We don't have a mechanism for one truth where we can squabble over what the truth is, but we've got all these alternative voices going out, anti-vax, no, there's mad stuff that's happening where people are marching, as we saw in Melbourne the other day, peddling ridiculous ideas, and we don't have a means of stopping it. So, I number one, the first thing I do on that, I stop people being able to go on the internet with false identities. Make them make it every bit as hard as opening a bank account. So, if they want to say something that's not true, we know who it is, and we can hold to account. Well, I guess um, the civil libertarians would be right on to you for that one, wouldn't they? Um, not all of them, because unfortunately what's happened, that's gotten right out of control. So if you have a look at what's happened with people using the internet as false identities, they mm. troll, and they troll mercilessly women in particular. You ask women what they feel about it, and how come people can do on the internet what they can't do in the real world? They couldn't get away with that sort of behaviour if they wanted to just use pen and paper. So let's try and even it up and try and restore the integrity of our democracy, which, you know, right now, faith in our democracy is at the lowest point it's been, I think, since the David Haywood is the Professor of Public Policy at RMIT University. Um, David, winners and losers, who are going to be the, the winners uh, in the next, say, 24 months? Who are going to be the big losers, just to distill it down? Uh, look, the big losers, is un undoubtedly, it's going to be the people who are unemployed, and it looks like it's going to fall disproportionately on the young because of the hit that cafes and restaurants and bars have taken. And that's not going to let up soon, unfortunately, John. That's going to be with us. You're going to have all those people who depended on those sort of jobs, one, two or three jobs. Their flight is going to be tough for the foreseeable future. I think the winners are probably going to be um, the same people who have always won, the people that have got the income and the wealth. Because remember, if you're actually in employment, if you've got a reasonable job, you've got a very good job, prices are actually pretty low. Interest rates are low. It's easy to borrow money. So if you're in stable work and good work um, or you're in, you get a, got a high income, it's never been better because you're not having to worry about inflationary pressures. The community within Your Life Choices, of course, um, made up of uh, a lot of retirees. How do you think our retiring friends will be uh, most affected? And is there time to claw back some of those financial losses that they've incurred? Look, I think the retirees are going to cop it because interest rates are going to stay low. You know, some analysts are actually talking about negative, genuinely negative interest rates. So imagine that. Imagine trying to get your head around that concept. Mm. So if you've got investments and you're dependent on that income coming in from interest rates, it ain't going to be there and that's going to be there. As long as this, this extent of inequality persists, 
we're just going to see these terribly low interest rates, which are going to make it very hard for many retirees to cope. Last question for you, uh, David. You're now the king of the mountain and you have a magic wand. And what is Dr. David Haywood's top priorities as king of Australia? King of Australia, well, actually, the first one would be to see government focus much more on what I've called the care economy. You know what we've done for too long? We've focused our government investment on infrastructure, things that appear to be um, durable and long-lasting. But you know what the most durable and long-lasting thing you can do? You can care for somebody who's fragile, somebody who needs support. It could be somebody who's a victim of family violence. You invest in those people. You ensure not only that their lifetime is going to be better, but their children's lifetime. Or if it's about your parents, if they're cared for well in an aged care facility, or if it's somebody with a disability. So I'd love to see our governments invest much more in the care economy, less in infrastructure, improve pay, conditions and training and get it right so it's a great place to work. And we know those levels of care are the highest we could possibly imagine, giving that genuine return, not just an economic return, but a social return. Well, I think that would be fantastic if we did that. And we became less fixated on new... You know, we're spending $90 billion on new submarines, $90 billion, and not, most of it's not going to stay in Australia because it's being built by uh, overseas submarine manufacturers. More on the care economy. We are what defines us as a, as a society, doesn't it? It does indeed. And you know what I reckon one thing that this coronavirus, one of the legacies, I think people are going to really get that and they're going to think, yeah, you know what, for too long we've undervalued our healthcare workers, our care workers generally. We've got all these Royal Commissions at the moment, John, going into aged care, disability, family violence, and they're all telling us the same thing. We're not spending enough where it matters most. And if ever there's going to be a time to get our priorities right, David, it's been fascinating talking to you and thank you so much for giving up your valuable time for Mind Your Own Retirement and uh, we hope that we get to talk again and um, you be safe through this, uh, this incredible time. You're most welcome, John. Thank you very much for having me on your program. Here on uh, Your Life Choices website... You're listening to Mind Your Own Retirement, and this is Macular Month. We have Dr. Davinda Chahan on the line now, who's uh, an expert when it comes to uh, your eyesight from Vision Eye Institute. Um, now, Doctor, thank you so much for giving up your time today for uh, Mind Your Own Retirement. This is Macular Month. Explain to everybody listening why macular health is important. Thanks very much for the opportunity, by the way. Macular Month is important because it's all about vision. And uh, as we know, vision is probably the most important sense that we have. Mm. Uh, the macula is the, because your eyes like a camera um, with a lens at the front, uh, people when they have cataract surgery, that goes cloudy, that's fixed. The macula is the film at the back, the central part that we use when we read, write, watch TV, recognize people. And so if you have a problem with your macula, then you potentially lose the ability to do any of those things. Driving becomes difficult, impossible, uh, etc. So macular month is important for people to be aware about because there's so many conditions that affect the macula and some which can cause permanent harm. And the key to people's vision and maintaining it is to look out for problems and then act on them urgently. Davinda, is it a an ageist uh, complaint or can also young people be affected? Well, the answer is that young people can be affected, but they tend to be less common and it tends often to be diabetic patients who have problems with their macula um, when they're younger. It's predominantly people over the age of 50 and it gets uh, more common the older you get. Roughly one in four people over 90, for example, 
has some degree of age-related macular degeneration. So, yeah, my clinics are full of people over 70. Can it be treated? Yeah, so there's a couple of stages of macular degeneration, and it's only in the last stage that parts can be treated. So macular degeneration starts with some changes at the macula that you don't notice. Patients can't see a problem, but it can be picked up by optometrists or other eye doctors with photographs or OCT scans early on. And uh, early on, there's still not very much treatment you can do to slow things down, apart from having the appropriate diet. As it goes on to intermediate macular degeneration, people begin to sometimes notice that they have issues with uh, adapting to dim lighting and recovering from bright lights, but that's not always the case. When it gets to the severe or advanced form, that's when the terms dry and wet macular degeneration become relevant. Dry macular degeneration is where there's atrophy or a withering away of the central macula, and unfortunately, there's no treatment for that. The only saving grace is that it tends to be very slowly progressive. Can I just say that as far as the treatment's concerned, the most important part of treatment is uh, that there is a type called wet macular degeneration, which progresses very rapidly, and if it's not treated, it will result in permanent loss. So it's really important. You can treat wet macular degeneration extremely well, so much so that we can prevent blindness in up to 95% of people and actually improve vision in up to 40% of people if they present, come to doctors early or go to optometrists early. So it's really important if you have symptoms, you get seen quickly and you're treated quickly and the treatment is ongoing, probably lifelong injections into the eye, which work amazingly well. Doctor, how often should we have our eyes tested? We should have our eyes tested probably as we get older more frequently, probably um, once a year or so. Uh, every time I go to get my eyes tested, it seems there's some new whiz-bang thing, such as the, the checking the pressure. No longer do they have to sort of put something actually on your eyeball. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, the advances that are, that are coming along, uh, Doctor, what do you see some of the biggest breakthroughs that are, you're likely to happen or you'd like to see happen in the next uh, decade? So the breakthroughs are to do with the whiz-bang machines for the imaging machines, the scanners and the for cameras. Um, the whiz-bang thing is artificial intelligence, which is um, in eyes is, has gone well ahead of pretty much any other specialty in medicine. Is that um, right? So, wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of things for recognizing um, diabetic eye disease, uh, which can affect the macula, and a lot of uh, stuff that's happening with respect to recognizing, diagnosing um, scans for macular disease. And then I'm, personally, I'm working on some software for helping doctors make decisions about um, about these things. Well, you would encourage uh, people to get their uh, their eyes tested, and certainly as this is uh, Macular Month, um, specifically uh, to make sure their macula is is healthy, and if it is not, to have it treated. Yeah. So the important uh, thing is, you go and see your optometrist. They are for eyes. The GPs uh, for eyes are primary care point. Mm. And the good thing about optometrists is that many of them now have their own scanners. Many of them are very good at interpreting the scans. And then, very importantly, they know the right kind of doctor for you to see. So all eye doctors are not the same. Some of us specialize in glaucoma, others in cataracts in the front of the eye, and people like me specialize in the macula and retina. So ideally, you see someone who sees and treats a lot of the condition that you're seeing because subspecialization 
in eyes uh, in eye care has uh, advanced quite a lot. So that it's very difficult for any general person to um, know everything about um, all conditions. So generally, it would be a good idea if you can, if, if you live remotely, it's not so easy. But if you can, you see someone who specialises in the conditions you have. Well, we hope that uh, our, some 230,000 uh, members of Your Life Choices uh, do take uh, Macular Month seriously and uh, uh, look after their eye health. Uh, more power to you. I hope that uh, you get the message out and cross this uh, very difficult time and um, that uh, we look, do look after our maculars and, of course, look after our eye health in general. Uh, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you Do Dr. Devinder Chahan, who's uh, the specialist and uh, representing Vision Eye Institute, uh, talking about macula. So go get tested. And now we're talking to Sean Rooney, the CEO of Leading Aged Care Services Australia. And Sean is recognised as a leader in the aged care sector, speaking with authority on important issues across residential home care and retirement living. Uh, Sean has led uh, membership-based organisations and represented the interests of members on the local, national and international stage. Well-versed and certainly well-educated to talk about what we are going to talk about today. Sean, firstly, welcome. Oh, thanks very much. Great to be here. How do residents feel about restricted visits, those who are in, in care? Look, that, that's a, a great question. And uh, there's been a lot of public discussion with regards to the restrictions of visitation into residential aged care, uh, knowing that they were recommendations from the National Cabinet put in place to protect uh, older Australians who were quite vulnerable to, uh, to the coronavirus. Mm. Uh, we've just recently conducted a national survey of our members, and uh, what it shows is when they've uh, discussed this with their residents and also with uh, residents, families and friends, the overwhelming majority of people uh, approve of the... Uh, the restrictions or the protections that have been put in place by their aged care home. So 90% uh, of family and friends and 82% uh, of residents either agreed or strongly agreed with those the protections uh, that were implemented and the decisions made by their homes. So uh, I, I think given what we've seen overseas with respect to just some catastrophic outcomes for mm. older people in, in aged care homes and nursing homes, I think overall we've done a, a pretty good job in this country in seeking to get that balance right between ensuring good quality, compassionate care and connectivity with loved ones, uh, whilst also ensuring that we have all the appropriate protections in place to make sure that those most vulnerable to, to the COVID-19 and also those that are caring for them uh, are well protected. Yeah, well, of course, that's a massive responsibility, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, the aged care sector deals with Seasonal influenza outbreaks, you know, on an annual cycle, and uh, you know we have many number of infection control measures in place, and quality standards, and, and systems, and processes, and protocols that we have to ad adhere to from a good practice standpoint, but also from a regulatory standpoint. However, it's fair to say that this COVID nineteen pandemic is something that none of us have ever dealt with before, either in uh, aged care or in the wider community. So, mm. uh, ensuring that uh, we're doing all we can to protect those that are most vulnerable is uh, front and centre of our, our thinking and our practice. How are you linking residents with loved ones during the pandemic, Sean? I mean, with all the new technology, are they embracing the zooms and the facetimes and all the rest? Look, I think this has been a game changer. Uh, to, to be honest, what we've seen is a significant uh, investment from aged care providers in additional staff and uh, upgrades to Wi-Fi systems, 
purchasing of um, tablets and iPads and, and phones and, and video conferencing infrastructure, all of those things to be able to maintain connectivity uh, between residents and their loved ones. Because we know that uh, good quality care isn't just about you know the physical needs and the clinical needs being met. It's also about those social and emotional and psychological, spiritual needs. And a lot of that comes from the connectivity that older people in care have with their, their family and friends and their loved ones. So we've seen a, a significant investment. And what I'm hearing is reports back that uh, some residents have never felt more connected. Some families have never felt more connected. The use of, as you said, Zoom, Skype, instant messaging, uh, all of these platforms that have been available previously, <laughs> but I guess we haven't really had uh, the, the impetus to do this at scale and at pace. And um, what I'm hearing from families and residents on a lot of occasions and, and also from staff is this has been a game changer because the, the interaction has been perhaps even more frequent than it uh, has been in the past. You're the uh, the voice of aged care and the largest representative organisation of aged care in the nation, Sean. What are some of the, the big issues you see moving forward uh, post-pandemic shutdown? How the, the integration between clients and staff, et cetera, how, how do you see this all moving forward? Look, I think what we're seeing now around the country will be a relaxation of the social distancing measures. Uh, I, I think overall we'd say that's the sign of success in flattening the curve, which was the initial focus uh, of the, the national response to COVID-19. Uh, however, that comes with some concern for older Australians, mm. as we know that um, as those social distancing measures are relaxed, the uh, risk of infection will increase and, and we're likely to see uh, clusters of infection outbreaks. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so we have to be specifically vigilant, both in residential aged care, but also in the wider community for in-home care to make sure that mm. not just aged care providers, but the entire community uh, realises Firstly, that um, a relaxation of social distancing measures isn't a green light to go back to business as usual. And, and secondly, to have front and centre uh, in their consciousness and in their behaviours, uh, understanding that older people in our communities and in care are at risk and more vulnerable. And so uh, being vigilant and taking uh, appropriate steps to ensure that they're not inadvertently you know, risking transmission uh, is something we all need to be focused on as a community, as well as our sector. I think uh, already you're seeing people much more vigilant as far as uh, hygiene's concerned, uh, social distancing, of course, uh, albeit uh, a legal requirement. Also, people are, are being more sensible and uh, are being very much more cautious, and I think that's the, probably the way we're going to be for many years to come. Well, I think you're right, um, you know, I think what we're seeing here is, uh, you know, behavioural change on on a significant scale that, that will play out uh, over months, if not years. And, you know, I think then it determines whether we have a vaccine or, or, or other uh, measures to be able to, to deal with, uh, with this pandemic. But I think what we've seen, as I said, uh, overall, the aged care system in Australia has done a good job. Sadly, we have seen some deaths. In, uh, in some locations to COVID-19, and obviously our, our thoughts are with um, people that have lost loved ones. However, when you compare uh, the performance of our system uh, and our providers and our workforce with uh, some of the terrible outcomes that we've seen internationally, for, for example, um, UK in April was saying that they were recording something like 2,000 deaths per week in aged care facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, the World Health Organization uh, has estimated 50% of fatalities in Europe 
have been uh, um, aged care and nursing home uh, residents. And, and we know in the US it's a similar story. So that really is sobering and brings into stark relief what's at risk. But it also says that by and large, the Australian aged care system and supported by the Australian community and, and the ability of our community to adapt to many of the measures that were implemented uh, through um, the nation's initial response to the pandemic. Uh, so those things have been working and, and I think uh, that shouldn't be forgotten and um, I was very pleased and I know our workers were very pleased when uh, the Prime Minister, the Health Minister and the Aged Care Minister all recently came out and praised uh, the work that's been done at the front line in aged care in the fight against coronavirus. Sean Rooney, thank you so much for giving up your time. Sean's the CEO of Leading Aged Services Australia. Sean, uh, very quickly, if people want to get onto your website, where do they go? Uh, so that's www.lasa.asn.au. That's lasa.asn.au. And if you would like to go to your life choices, you will see that as a link straight through to Leading Age Services Australia. Sean, thank you for giving up your time and, and continued success with your great work. Oh, great. Thanks very much. Thank you for your support and uh, hope everyone can stay safe. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Mind Your Own Retirement and uh, you found the talk on finance from David uh, Hayward, the Professor of Public Policy at RMIT, talking about the social aspects and also, as mentioned, Macular Month. If you're like me, need to go to the optometrist quite regularly, this is a good time to make sure your macula is healthy. And thanks to our good friends at Vision Eye Institute and also Sean Rooney, who you just heard, the CEO of Leading Age Services Australia, looking after the aged care and, and how they're handling the visitor visitation and uh, other aspects of in-home and also residential living. From me, John Deeks, thank you so much indeed for being part of this podcast. Do make sure you invite all your friends to Your Life Choices website. Become a member. There's no charge and there's so much information there. Certainly everything we've spoken of today is available on the Your Life Choices website. And until next time, be safe, be well, make sure you're healthy in mind and body. And we'll see you next time for Mind Your Own Retirement. Retirement.